You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if I love it. I'm just in that kind of a mood, you know? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Why? Why? I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, that. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in a sweltering Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 93.7 FM San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest in China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, downloadable on the iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure of the Bradcast. Uh, we uh, and, and this is a... Let's see, an anti-trigger warning. Because I know you got to give a trigger warning, uh, you know, to keep people from freaking out if they hear about Donald Trump. I was going to give an anti-trigger warning to say, don't worry, there'll be no Donald Trump today. And then... And then, just by bringing that up, I've completely screwed it up. I have brought up Donald Trump. Should there be a code word for Donald Trump? Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump, Trump uh, warning. Look, you can't... Trumpity? Trumpity Trump. You can't... Uh, you can't ignore what's going on i'm gonna try today and we're gonna talk about some legal issues i want to get away from electoral politics we've been talking about that quite a lot and of course that's all really that seems to be happening here in the u.s in the u.s corporate media but obviously there's a lot going on around the world and there's a lot of non-politic stuff that's going on here there's a lot of uh legal uh, uh, rulings that i want to talk about that i want to focus on today we're going to be joined in a little bit by uh, our own uh, Brad Blog's uh, legal analyst, Ernest A. Canning. He will be joining us to talk about um, a very interesting, a recent decision, uh, ag-gag. Are you familiar, Des, with ag-gag? Ag-gag, ag-gag laws. Gag yes, laws. Yes, I am. I am. I actually was. Well, maybe I was, but I didn't realize that they were called ag-gag. So... Uh, Ernie Canning will, Canning will be here to talk about that and a little bit on the uh, photo ID situation down in Texas. And, of course, you see, when uh, already we're into politics. You can't even talk about legal issues without going into political issues in this country anymore. Um, but we can avoid Donald Trump, maybe, except for this news just over the wire that Megyn Kelly... <laughs> Megan Kelly over at Fox News will be taking a suddenly taking a, a week and a half vacation from uh, from uh, from Fox. 
Is this one that they're not that they're that they are they acknowledging that this was not pre-planned or? It's unclear. It's unclear. She's saying after six months without a uh, without a vacation, uh, she uh, she needs a, a, a some time off. Okay, so it would have been simpler for them to say she's taking an already scheduled vacation, but they chose not to do that. They don't do that at Fox News. They don't. Well, I mean, they do. They make up stuff and and they'll probably come out and say something like that. But no, they, they, you know, this whole thing, they've taken Trump's side. There was this battle, not going to go into the details because it's so stupid. But uh, this battle between Donald Trump and, and Megyn Kelly after the debate, he didn't like the, the questions she was asked. He started saying all kinds of horrible things about her. And then there was a big summit between Donald Trump and Roger Ailes, who runs Fox News. And guess what? Roger Ailes sided with Trump, reportedly, instead of uh, siding with his own star primetime anchor, Megyn Kelly. Hell of a guy, that Roger Ailes. Uh, but in the wake of that, uh, Megyn Kelly has said, you know what? OK, I'm getting out of here for a week and a half. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. She ought to walk away from that station entirely. If I had uh, a boss that didn't have my back like that, man, uh, I, I would. Yeah. Anyway, I think we have concluded the Trump portion of our program. Okay, that's Do you believe me? The, no. I don't know that you believe me. Anyway, uh, we will have some green news today with Desi Doyen. Uh, that is the voice of Desi Doyen there. Uh, for the first time in history, and this is remarkable, although less remarkable as the, uh, as the heat moves back into Los Angeles here, um, <laughs> to remind me how hot and dry it is yeah. out west. But for the first time in history, more than half of the U.S. Forest Service budget is now going to fight wildfires. We'll be talking about that in the GNR as well. Um, New Zealand is dumping coal. And uh, Elon Musk is going to be giving a free solar. And that's kind of funny anyway, isn't it? Isn't solar already free? But uh, now that you think about it, anyway, uh, Elon Musk will be giving free solar uh, to uh, schools out in uh, rural parts of Africa, yes. which I know is going to make a lot of folks on the right very, very happy because they are very, very concerned about people living in poverty who don't have access to all the things that we do in this country, who don't have access to all of the uh, uh, the great benefits that well, come with yeah, great electricity, uh, great for electricity. Example. Right. And so that's why. Folks on the right are concerned and they don't want to do away with fossil fuels because they're worried about people in poverty in Africa. That's right. That's why they're worried. Well, and actually, I know how that sounds ridiculous, but if you think about it, uh, but actually, if you study it, th they talk about this all the time. Oh, now. they do. This is That's their right. big thing. That's well, their... we can't cut emissions because it's going to. It's going to hurt the global poor. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, in reality, that's that's not actually what anybody who has any understanding about the science and the uh, the data that's available. But, you know, hey, these are these are uh, climate science deniers. So. so Elon Musk has the solution, however, has a solution, a component of the solution. He's but going yes. to give them all Teslas and that will bring them out of. That's not the solution. Not exactly. Has. All right. Well, we'll we will talk later. about that a little bit later. All right. Let's get to some of these court cases. Uh, a couple of them have been piling up. A couple of them have come in today. Uh, I'm trying to decide uh, what order to hit these buttons. So let's just go with the stupidest ones first. And if we're going to talk about stupid, you got to talk about Maine's governor, Paula Page, uh, the dumbest governor in the country. We've spent uh, quite a few uh, minutes uh, shows uh, talking about how dumb Governor Paula Page of Maine is. Uh, he's the guy most famously in my mind. Um, well, he, he removed the 
the murals, the labor murals from the Department of Labor in uh, in Maine just as soon as he took office because they were too, I don't know, union-y for the Department of Labor. Uh, but really what caught my uh, eye when it came to Paul LePage was when he told everyone that windmills have little motors in them, and that's why they spin. Uh, this it's was, all a ruse. It's all a ruse. Uh, anyway, uh, dumb as dirt, and I could go on and on, but I won't. You're welcome. But I will go on to the uh, one of the latest dumb things he's done, which is uh, w- the legislature there had been sending him all kinds of uh, laws that they had been passing. It's a Democratic-controlled re- legislature. Paul LePage is a Republican. And they had been sending him all kinds of bills, and he had been vetoing them left and right and sending them back to the legislature, and then the legislature would just overrule his veto. Uh, they would vote to uh, override the veto. They would approve it, and a whole bunch of Republicans were voting along uh, with the Democrats because they agree that Paul LePage is stupid, just the dumbest governor in America. So Paul LePage came up with this great idea. The legislature this time, the legislature sent him a whole bunch of bills, and uh, instead of vetoing them and sending them back and having those vetoes overridden, he was going to hold on to them. He was going to do a pocket veto, which is if he doesn't send it back uh, after 10 days, then it becomes vetoed automatically, and because the legislature doesn't get them back, they can't override them. The only problem with that, however, is according to the main constitution, that can only happen when the legislative session has adjourned, when the entire session is done, like at the end of the year, when they're done and they ain't coming back. In this case, they were just taking a pause for a few days. A vacation. A vacation. It actually was. It was their uh, summer vacation. And um, Paula Page said, well, I'm not going to send it back. This way they can't override them. Well, as it turns out, he was totally wrong about the law, totally wrong about the Constitution, and 65 pieces of legislation that he opposed actually became law. And, uh, and w- one of them was, you know, w- would would give welfare funding to uh, 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 immigrants who had come here and are claiming asylum, something he was very opposed to, something he ran against in re-election. He just allowed that to become law. All right, so we talked about that. Uh, But he said uh, that, no, the legislature has it wrong. I'm sending this back to them anyway. So he sent those bills back with the veto. And the legislature said, "Uh, sorry, governor. Sorry, governor. But uh, these are already enacted. These laws are done. You blew it. You missed your chance. And even the Republicans agreed. Even the Republicans in the main legislature agreed. Uh, So Paul Page went to the Supreme Court in the state of Maine. That's sort of where we were last time we were on this story. And uh, the word now is back from the Maine State Supreme Court. They, too, agree that Maine's Governor Paul Page is the dumbest governor in the nation. And, in fact, these 65 pieces of legislation that Paul Page would have vetoed are, in fact, law. And they have yes, exactly. And they have ordered the governor to start enforcing these laws. Uh, sorry, Paula Page, man, you are dumb. On the other hand, what does it say about the people of Maine that they reelected this guy? Well, one thing it says is that there was a third party candidate running. It split the vote, and that's how Paula Page was able to get in both times. Okay, that's one legal case out of the way. Paula Page. You are done. Meantime, 
a slightly more serious case. Uh, an appeals court uh, it, it decides, well, a suburban Denver baker, this is according to AP Today, a suburban Denver baker who wouldn't make a wedding cake for same-sex couples cannot cite his religious beliefs in refusing them service because it would lead to discrimination. The Colorado Court of Appeals ruled on Thursday. The decision is the latest victory for gay couples who have won similar cases in other states. Gay rights supporters and religious freedom advocates have passionately debated whether individuals can cite their beliefs as a basis for declining to participate in a same-sex wedding ceremony. And it's bound to get more heated after the U.S. Supreme Court legalized the same-sex marriage, of course, nationwide. In the Colorado case, a guy by the name of Jack Phillips, owner of Masterpiece Cake Shops, which sounds kind of gay, just saying, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, Masterpiece Cake Shop, he declined to make a cake for uh, two, uh, two men, uh, Charlie Craig and David Mullins, in 2012, when they were married, uh, they were married in Massachusetts, and then they planned. They came to Colorado, where they planned to celebrate. Um, after the ruling, at this point, with the uh, Colorado Court of Appeals turning them down, Phillips now faces fines if he refuses to make wedding cakes for gay couples. For his part, Phillips has maintained he has no problem serving gay people at his store. Okay but says that making a wedding cake for a same-sex wedding would violate his Christian beliefs. His attorneys have said that they would consider appealing all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Of course they would. They said they are bound to, there are bound to be more cases where businesses' uh, religious convictions clash with gay rights. Okay, so I tried to actually give this some serious consideration. Because this has now come up three or four times in different places. Uh, usually I'm quite flippant about it uh, because I think it's just so stupid and so ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, so I thought about it. You know, I used to uh, uh, sell uh, software. I was, in, I was a software coder, would create software and uh, sell it out on the internets. And so I thought, well, you know, could I refuse? Could I refuse to sell software to an organization that I disagreed with? So let's say, you know, just because I disagreed with him. So it, it, let's say some Stormfront. KKK. So Nazi organization, the KKK. That they wanted to purchase my software. And, you know, they contacted me and they told me their, you know, who they were and I knew it in advance. Um, could I have refused to sell it to them? Would that have been right to just refuse to say, oh, I don't like who you are. I don't like what you do. Doesn't sound like it, based on that ruling from that Colorado court. Well, at least, yeah, that's their ruling. But I'm just trying to figure out, is this, you know, if I am so offended by something, by somebody, by the customer, do I have the right not to uh, do business with them? Uh, you know, and, and of course, as I thought about this, uh, ultimately, yes, I would have sold them the software, whether I like them or not, it doesn't seem like it's my role to determine what a customer does with my product. Much as it doesn't seem like the role of the baker to, well, you know, yes, you can buy this cake, you can use it at home, but you cannot use it for your gay wedding celebration. I'll make you a birthday cake, but I won't make you a wedding cake. That seems an unusual distinction that is kind of petty and silly. Uh, exactly. Uh, if you know, if these, what if they, what if there was something, 
if the baker decided that uh, or, or learned that someone wanted to use their cake for other sort of immoral things, like rubbing it over the body of their lover and eating it, right? Okay. And they found this to be objectionable to, to their still religious mores. They still wouldn't be able to stop it. I mean, once the cake leaves the premises, then that's it. But if they heard that this was happening, could they refuse? No, we will not sell you a cake because you're not going to eat it. You're just going to rub it all over your friend and... I mean, it's a ridiculous premise, but it seems like that's exactly the same premise when they're dealing with with saying, uh, you know, you can come in my shop, we can do business, but I will not make a cake for your wedding. Am I wrong? Am I missing something? Well, it makes me think of the uh, a possible corollary between companies that um, that that manufacture drugs that can be, but are not intended to be used in death penalty cases in executions. Those companies have said we refuse to sell these drugs mm-hmm. to states if they're going to be used for executions because that's not their intended purpose. Now that would be. Different because, of course, these are controlled substances that are legally and, and very strictly regulated. So I think that there's a uh, well, it's an different. area where that would be different. But I'm, I'm just trying to think, OK, well, is there another analog that we can think of that? That would be totally different because in right. that case, what they're oh, saying I know. is. I agree yeah. that it's different. I'm just trying to say, well, you know, how does You're this illuminate? S- they're saying, it would, in, you know, in that case with the death penalty, we've got a death penalty case coming up next in our uh, uh, legal uh, festival, our legal cavalcade today. But. Uh, that would be different because that would be a, a matter of using the product in a dangerous or deadly manner, yes. right? So if I knew in advance that my cake, my customer said, yes, I need your cake because I'm going to put arsenic in it and poison my wife, then well, I would yeah. have a right to not sell them a cake. <laughs> Okay. So if they're going to use the product for a dangerous something dangerous, that makes sense. But if they're going to use it in a celebration, that makes no sense. Can I say if I'm a Catholic and I don't believe in uh, divorce, and I know that they're going to use this as uh, somebody has just got divorced, they're gonna they want to celebrate their divorce, they buy a cake. Can I say no? I'm not going to sell it to you because you can't use my cakes for divorces. Well, I mean, this thing seems ridiculous, but apparently it's not. It comes. It uh, comes up again. A recent case. Uh, AP talks about a bakery in Portland, Oregon, uh, dis- declined to make a wedding cake for a gay couple a couple of years ago. They were ordered to pay one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars in damages in July because that was against the law. Two years ago, uh, New Mexico Supreme Court ruled that a photographer who wouldn't take pictures of a gay couple's uh, 2006 commitment ceremony violated the state's anti-discrimination law, which protects, in this case, uh, uh, protects gay people. Not all states do, by the way. Uh, And in uh, Washington state, a florist, a florist has been fighting a lawsuit uh, that uh, filed after she refused to provide services for a gay wedding back in 2013. You don't get to decide what a customer does with your product. At least that's what it seems to me. Uh, this case in Colorado started in uh, the Colorado's Civil Rights Commission, where the uh, c- uh, gay couple filed their complaint. And in December 2013, a judge for the commission ruled that uh, Phillips discriminated against the couple, ordered him to change his store policy against making cakes for gay weddings or facing fines or, or face fines. Uh, but then Phillips went to the Colorado Court of Appeals. You notice what you're not hearing from Republicans in this case. You're not hearing them talk about frivolous lawsuits. Remember how they like to pretend 
They're against frivolous lawsuits. They're only against lawsuits they're against. They're not actually against frivolous lawsuits. Otherwise, they'd be against this stupid uh, gay cake nonsense that is sweeping the country. All right. Uh, we talked about uh, death, uh, death sentence, uh, death penalty a little bit there because you brought it up so early. Uh, Connecticut's high court on Thursday overturned the death penalty in that state, saying that it is unconstitutional. This was a ruling by a divided court, four to three. But it means that 11 men on the state's uh, death row would no longer be subject to execution orders. And this is important because the state had passed a law back in 2012 to repeal the death penalty, but only for future crimes. Only for new. Only for new. Not, right. ex- not previous. Right. Okay. So the people who were already on death row, the 11 men who were already on death row, uh, they would still be scheduled. They would still be killed. Wow. That seems like a surprisingly obvious. Cruel and unusual, perhaps. Yeah, and for the legislature kind of, to yeah. say, OK, yeah. That's- well, this is exactly what happened in Nebraska very recently as well. And you remember we had that me- uh, uh, the member from the legislature there, that Republican uh, state senator, was it, from Nebraska? Yes. Uh, they did the same thing. They outlawed, the legislature outlawed the death penalty, but only for future cases. Uh, I'm uh, Only for future cases, and uh, existing people on death row in that state are still slated to be killed. That seems like a violation of equal protection. Uh, in this case, that seems to be what the Connecticut court, the Supreme Court, decided uh, that it was a, a violation of equal protection, that the same, because you're talking about essentially the same crime, but a different penalty for it, depending on when you committed it. It doesn't seem to make much sense at all. Um, and uh, but, I, but I'd like to learn more about this. And so hopefully, uh, Des, we can get someone on from uh, one of these uh, death penalty advocacy groups or I guess anti-death penalty advocacy groups uh, soon on this show to, to talk about this because we're seeing this now in a lot of places. A lot of states in, in this country finally seem to be getting it and moving away from the death penalty. It was great news in Nebraska where you had Republicans joining with uh, uh, Democrats to, uh, to abolish the death penalty but leaving those men on death row leaving that those those men in place uh in the case of connecticut it's going to convert these 11 men uh and their death sentence to life in prison without parole so i think that's good news and that one is not a stupid court decision at all we're going to take a quick break and come back with another non-stupid court decision with the brad blogs ernie canning uh concerning ag gag If you don't know what that is, stay tuned. We will tell you soon. We'll have that, Green News Report, and much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Mama put you on a roll out of bed and she ran to the police station. When the papa found out, he began to shout and he started the investigation. It's against the law. It was against the law. Oh, what did mama saw? It was against the law. Oh, all kinds of things are against the law. This is our, uh, apparently our legal day here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Uh, in uh, what Ernie Canning over at Bradblog.com describes as a carefully reasoned 29-page decision, Chief U.S. District Court Judge B. Lynn Windmill struck down as unconstitutional an ag-gag statute that, according to the court, had been drafted for the express purpose of shielding Idaho's agricultural and dairy industries from undercover investigators and whistleblowers who exposed the agriculture industry to the court of public opinion. Now, I wasn't even clear that they were uh, th- that this was going on, that these ag gag does this. Does he doing this is something that you're familiar with? You yes. cover in uh, the Green News report from time to time, I know. Yes. Um, so agricultural gag. That's where this comes from. Right. right. All right. Uh, here to talk about this. He covered it over at Bradblog.com is our own. Legal analyst Ernie Canning. He is a uh, active member of the California State Bar since 1977, and uh, he uh, has received both undergraduate and graduate degrees in political science, as well as uh, a juris doctor. Which is why you know we want we wanted to go legal today, Ernie, and not political. But we find that all of these legal decisions are also political. Welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thank you, Brad. Good to be here. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be playing. I also uh, have a, 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 well, a point or two to bring up uh, concerning the uh, Texas photo ID ruling. That was a good news ruling. So apparently is this uh, ag-gag uh, law being struck down in the state of Idaho. Uh, give me some idea what ag-gag actually is, Ernie Canning, and then we can talk about what the uh, what the judge decided to do here in this case and how important this may be in other uh, cases around the country. Well, the background of this particular case is that um, what happened was there was an L.A.-based uh, uh, group called Mercy for Animals that happened to have uh, uh, videotaped uh, at a dairy uh, workers who were uh, beating, kicking, jumping on cows, just you know all kinds of abusive things they were doing to the animals. And uh, what happened was they then uh, published this and... Uh, to the embarrassment of this particular agricultural facility, and the attorney that uh, drafted this law for the uh, uh, Idaho Dairymen's Association wanted to make sure, in fact, that that's where that came from. The judge said that that particular attorney had specifically said, we want to shield these people from, um, from, from public exposure. And so what they did was they made it basically a crime 
if, for example, uh, either a journalist or an employee uh, didn't disclose their media connections and, and they were lawfully on the premises and, and videotaped this stuff without the em- employer's knowledge. In the case of Utah, which is is a, a, a near-identical statute, uh, mm-hmm. the first prosecution under that, they actually arrested a woman who had been standing on a public street and uh, and photographing what was taking place on an agricultural facility. So basically what they were trying to do was prevent um, uh, whistleblowers, employees, uh, uh, mm-hmm. journalists, anyone from exposing uh, conditions on agricultural facilities. Um, and what happened here was it was a challenged uh, under the First Amendment and also under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, and the court agreed and granted summary judgment. Uh, what basically, what happens in these cases is you have a conflict between the, there's a clash between the right to privacy and, uh, and the First Amendment rights, and what the judge in this case said was that you have um, uh, uh, basically when you're when you're an agricultural facility, what you do is not strictly private property rights mm-hmm. because what you have there, for example, in cases where you had the mal- mad cow disease, salmonella, E. coli infections, the the type of things that are going on on an agri- privately owned agricultural farm affect public health and safety, and the public has a right to know. Mm. And so what this judge said was that it's not just that you have a right to talk about what you see, but that, in fact, the whistleblower uh, has a First Amendment right to videotape what he sees. And so that's where this came down, and they struck down the law. Um, so it, made, it basically made this law, it, it didn't just bar, it actually, there, there were penalties in place, right? If you did these things, if you were... You go to jail. You go to jail. If you're an employee and you're at one of these uh, factory farms, uh, these uh, food lots, uh, feed lots, or these uh, uh, slaughter mills, and you see something that you believe could affect public health and safety or is just wrong because you're abusing animals or something like that, and, and you videotape that and you get that videotape to the media, you can go to jail for that or... If you're at least under the Idaho law that has now been thankfully struck down, but this just blows my mind. Or if you're, uh, as you describe, a journalist and you ask for a tour of the lot and you secretly videotape what's going on there, that was found to be a violation of the First Amendment uh, rights for a free press, right, To, to go out and report on what you see. That's correct, and what's what's even more disturbing is the Utah case, which is still pending, because uh, there the young lady was actually on public property, and she was she had videotaped what was going on at this uh, uh, facility. Um, I believe it was a uh, oh her name was Amy Myers. She was criminally charged under the Utah Ag Gag Law because she filmed the slaughterhouse from the vantage point of a publicly owned road. So here you are filming something that's within public view, and they were trying to say they're trying to make it a, a crime to, 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 to document in a film that which is available for anybody in the public that would be driving by that would briefly see it. That's, just, and, that's amazing. Uh, the, the court uh, in this case ruled in, in regard to the First Amendment rights, audio and visual evidence is a uniquely persuasive means of conveying a message, and it can vindicate an undercover investigator or whistleblower 
who is otherwise uh, disbelieved or ignored, prohibiting undercover investigators or whistleblowers from recording an agricultural facility's operations inevitably suppresses a key type of speech because it limits the information that might later be published or broadcast. Now, Ernie Canning, that makes complete sense to me. I understand that. Now, let me ask you, uh, James O'Keefe, this knucklehead right-winger who goes undercover and he secretly videotapes, he, he tells people that he was dressed up as a pimp and he goes into Acorn, uh, this 40-year-old uh, community organization that uh, uh, you know helps uh, low- and middle-income people buy houses and helps them register to vote and so forth. He goes in. He says he was dressed as a pimp. He wasn't. But any, in any event, he goes in. He takes these secret videotapes of these Acorn workers uh, and then comes out, releases these tapes, and, and tries to make them look stupid. He edited it. He, he you know, massively uh, cut, cut it up to make it look as bad as possible. He misrepresented what it was they actually said. But uh, the legal issue, or at least one of the legal issues, is that he was secretly videotaping what was going on at this place of business, this organization. How is that any different than what's going on uh, in, in, in these ag-gag cases? As okay, you well, right? let me explain one of the differences there, and particularly in the O'Keefe situation. Uh, by the way, in the ag-gag cases, what the court made clear is that the owners of these facilities are still protected by criminal trespass laws, where you're not lawful, you know, somebody goes uh, trespasses on the premises to, to get their film. Okay. Um, and they're also protected by defamation laws. Uh, remember that James O'Keefe, in fact, was sued by uh, uh, one of the Acorn workers, mm -hmm. Juan Carlos Vera, who had been defamed by O'Keefe, who deceptively uh, uh, and falsely claimed that Vera had been uh, cooperating in a scheme to smuggle underage me Mexican prostitutes across the border. <laughs> which, which was, was complete total nonsense. Total okay. nonsense. And I should add Juan Carlos Vera won $100,000 from James, James O'Keefe. Uh, for that for that scam, but yes, he did. Yes, but the other thing here in California, remember, I told you there's this clash between the First Amendment right to know and mm -hmm. the individual's right to privacy. Here in California, we have Penal Code Section 632, and what that basically does is make it unlawful for somebody to secretly record what is supposed to be a confidential communication. Confidential communication essentially means that without the, without the other person's consent, so you're protecting their privacy rights. The difference here is they were filming an activity, which you can see if you're standing on the premises. Mm -hmm. In that case, what they were, he was doing was audio recording conversations without the other party's consent. And that's where the area comes in where the California statute was passed in order to protect the privacy rights of individuals. Uh, for example, but you answer it, but the phone yeah. and, and you're talking to somebody and you think it's a private conversation and they're secretly recording you. There's a difference between that and filming the activities. First off, that conversation is ordinarily not going to be mm -hmm. uh, something that's going to accept uh, what you're going to eat. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's where the judge drew the line. These are not clearly private activities that are going on at at these um, at these farms because what they're doing has such an impact. Uh, in fact, I think what he did was he cited the classic case would would have been uh, 
when uh, you had uh, Upton Sinclair had lied to go on to the um, uh, misrepresented his position uh, to, to get a job as a meatpacking plant in Chicago, and then based on what he learned, he wrote the book The Jungle, which exposed the dangerous and unsafe and insanitary conditions in the, in that industry, mm-hmm. and and led to federal statutes, the 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 Meat Inspection Act and the Drug Act of 1906, that protected the public. So. There are very different things going on between what O'Keefe did, and O'Keefe, what O'Keefe did was, on top of everything else, was right. defamatory. He was lying. These pictures of what was actually taking place on these agricultural facilities is the documentation, of the truthful documentation of what is actually taking place. So and the, there's your difference. Yeah, and the fact that these laws are in place now around the country, and, and uh, I, I guess the question is still open of whether this will you know, work its way up sort of to the Supreme Court, because this was, a, this was a federal court striking down this law in Idaho, and if it works its way up to the Supreme Court, and if it's found to be unconstitutional elsewhere— um, then states, and, and I don't know, do you know offhand how many states around the countries have, have this kind of law? Well, I, know of, I yeah. know of three. Utah okay. has its ag-gag law, which the um, ALDF, uh, the, I think it's the Animal Legal Defense Fund, right. and ACLU are challenging in Utah. Right. There was, a, there was uh, actually Republican Governor Pat McCrory uh, vetoed an ag-gag law in uh, North Carolina, but his veto was recently, uh, the, uh, the Republican-controlled legislature voted to override his veto, so that law has been passed. I no, Ernie, that I, know that, I know that can't be. I know they couldn't have, because I know that Republicans are against regulation. I know they're against a big government coming in and telling people what they can and can, cannot do. So I'm sure the Republicans in North Carolina did not put this law in place. And I'm sure it was not Republicans in Idaho or Utah who put this in place because they believe in freedom, right? They would never... Yeah, well, well, yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure those, uh, those uh, uh, Republicans would, would not stand for the idea of the, of the government coming in and telling you whether you can use contraceptives either. No, that's right. They're against big... Uh, it's almost as if they just completely make it up and they uh, don't actually believe the things that they tell us they believe in. Actually, we were talking about in the last segment, uh, these, you know, these laws, all of these lawsuits about these bakers and the gay weddings and so forth. You never hear the Republicans complaining about frivolous lawsuits uh, in these cases, even though, you know, these these bakers who are refusing to to bake cakes, uh, even though they keep losing uh, case after case, for some reason the Republicans uh, just don't don't seem to care uh, about those frivolous lawsuits. Uh, Ernie, I, I want to, we got just a few minutes left here, I want to ask you about this um, a big victory. Big victory. Uh, it, it, it broke, I think, in the middle of the show uh, a week or so ago down in Texas, the appeals court. And I know you're working on a story for Bradblog.com, some concerns that you have uh, about that ruling. But I, I, I'm, I don't want to get into those concerns yet. Uh, we'll, we'll try to have you back uh, maybe next week to, d- to discuss those concerns once we publish the article at Bradblog. But um Essentially, go ahead and 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 give us a, a quick recap, if you can, on what the court decided, and then I want to get into very quickly what the uh, Texas Senate Republicans, what their statement was about the court's decision. Well, well, the the the, the big plus on it, and it actually is the first appellate uh, federal appellate uh, uh, ruling 
that we have where they where they have made an express finding that a state enacted polling place photo ID law violated the provisions of Section Two of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, they found that uh, Hispanics and black registered voters were respectively 195 percent and 300. Five percent more likely than their Anglo peers to be uh, not, to lack the requisite photo ID, which means more likely to be disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And um, that aspect of the decision is very good. As I, I I will be writing, is that I am deeply concerned that there are aspects of the decision that in some ways. Uh, put voters at greater risk than if they denied the whole thing outright. Or I, I really think they should have reinstated the the um, uh, the injunction immediately because if the the way this is playing out, there's a very good chance that uh, what happened in 2014, people were uh, because of a law they now acknowledge uh, violates uh, Section Two. Because of that law, more than 600,000 voters in Texas, uh, uh, disproportionately Hispanic and African American and the poor, were, were disenfranchised, and there's a very good chance that that will happen again uh, in the upcoming 2016 election. We have their, their mm-hmm. primary, by the way, is March 1 of next year, so it's coming up fast. So that injunction you talk about, this was the injunction that the lower court had put on the case uh, after she found, the uh, the, the federal uh, U.S. District Court judge found that this was a violation of the, uh, the, the Constitution, a violation of the Voting Rights Act, that it constituted a poll tax, and so she put an immediate injunction on that law, but then that injunction was lifted uh, essentially by the Supreme Court, and this uh, discriminatory law was allowed to be used last year in the uh, 2014 elections, and that injunction has still been lifted. So this law is still now in place until the lower court reconsiders it, correct? Well, there's a little minor correction. Okay. The, the court that lifted the injunction was the same Fifth, fifth, uh, fifth Circuit Court of Appeal mm-hmm that has now said that the law violates Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. The Supreme Court refused to lift the stay that the Fifth Circuit had imposed on the objection. And what they did was they elevated the what they considered to be the, the risk of, uh, of confusion arising from 11th hour changes in our voting laws, they made that of greater importance than, the, than the, the, a massive loss of the right to vote. Yeah, they didn't care about that. They just didn't want confusion. There'll be confusion if we, if we change law. If we suddenly allow voters to vote uh, as we had under the previous law, there'll they'll, they'll be chaos. And so, yeah, so there was an injunction. So the law was struck down. And an injunction was put on it, and then the appeals court undid that injunction, and then the Supreme Court uh, upheld that. And so it's just what a mess. But now we have a a decision from the appellate court, that same court, um, by a George W. Bush judge, by the way. Who found uh, George W. Bush appointee who found that this uh, is in fact an illegal law, and so now they have to work out how they are going to change it. And we'll talk about that in in uh, perhaps next week. Uh, your additional concerns about that. But I wanted to hit this statement by the Republican uh, state Senate in Texas, which says uh, in response to the uh, decision striking down that law, it says the right to vote is a sacred freedom in our nation and our great state. The citizens of Texas deserve to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their ballots count 
and that our election process is one of the utmost integrity. Uh, yeah. Accordingly, in 2011, the Texas legislature passed Senate Bill 14, requiring voters to present a government-issued photo ID at the polls, just as any Texan needs an ID to legally drive a car, board a commercial airplane, or cash a check. You can imagine, uh, Ernie Canning, how my head exploded when I saw that bit about boarding a commercial airplane. Well, I, I think you have covered it a number of times, and specifically in covering Judge Posner's opinion in, from the Second Circuit, uh, in which he just blew up every one of those contentions. But the funniest thing, Brad, is from what I, what I came to my mind when the portion you just read, I think about having making sure that every vote counted was the first thing I thought of. Fine, get rid of all the electronic voting and let's uh, adopt democracy's gold standard and have hand-counted paper ballots at each precinct on election night. Yeah, if they exactly. If they really want to make sure that their ballots count uh, and that every Texan deserves to know that, because we got a candidate, we had a candidate on uh, uh, a few weeks ago, Laura Presley from down in Austin, Texas. Uh, who still doesn't know if she won or lost back in 2014. She has been uh, trying to get uh, th these so-called ballot images that are supposedly available after elections so that she can go back and actually count the ballot. The uh, state won't let her look at those, or they say they do not exist. And so, it, yeah, if the Texas legislature was really interested in that, uh, then, yeah, there would be hand-counted paper ballots that the public could oversee at every polling place in the Lone Star State, but they don't give a damn about that, and they don't give a damn about facts, because the fact is, no, for example, you do not need a photo ID to board a commercial airplane, and I'm sorry to have to say this again to those people who have heard me go on about this before, but you can go on over to the TSA website, the what is it? Transport. What is TSA? Uh, Transportation Safety Authority. Thank you. Transportation Safety Authority. You can go to their website, tsa.gov, and you can look and find out what happens if you don't have a photo ID. You will still get to board that plane. You may be inconvenienced, but you will still get to board that plane because the commercial airlines are not about to turn away the nearly 30 million Americans who do not have government-issued photo ID. But the state of Texas is more than happy, if they can get away with it, to keep people from being able to cast their legal vote and then lie to the public to say, hey, man, it's just the same as boarding an airplane, which it decidedly is not. Ugh, drives me crazy, Ernie Canning. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the days ahead because you know that appellate court decision is going to be appealed uh, and there's going to be much more on it uh, because... All they want to do is suppress the vote because they can't win votes. Uh, they can't win elections by having better policies. <sighs> yeah, let's talk about it after my other piece is, is published because I think we will. you'll get a, a fuller picture of it when it is. We will indeed. Ernie Canning, uh, legal analyst, legal contributor over at bradblog.com. Great to catch up with you. Haven't had you on the show in a while. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today, my friend. Thank you, Brad. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report and see if she can irritate me as well. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please enjoy responsibly. Ah, oh, yes. 
melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News reports. Especially here in L.A. where we're having a heat wave and it's 10 to 12 degrees above normal. And really? you can feel every nice. bit of it. Nice. Lovely. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Green News report momentarily. Uh, but I want to do uh, my thanks to uh, Ernie Canning for joining us there. And I had meant to get in with all that uh, chatting we did. I forgot to mention that uh, he and I... Uh, well, I think we mostly agreed on everything today. Uh, we don't always agree on everything. And in fact, uh, we've been having a very lively uh, debate in the comments section on a number of items at bradblog.com because, you know, I've been uh, to sort of talking about the Black Lives Matters Matter uh, protesters who have been interrupting Bernie Sanders at a number of events. Ernie Canning's a, a, a big supporter. He's, he loves Bernie Sanders. And um, he has been getting in there. And I don't know that if his love for Bernie Sanders has anything to do with it, but uh, he's not happy about the interruptions at these Bernie Sanders events. And me, I'm fine with it. And in fact, we talked with John Nichols of The Nation yesterday, who, who seemed to agree, who said that, you know, that those interruptions, those protests have in fact resulted in Bernie Sanders becoming a better candidate and that we have a history in this country of uh, protesters making uh, candidates and presidents like uh, JFK, uh, uh, FDR and, and, and John F. Kennedy, making them better candidates, better presidents. In any event, uh, he has strongly been uh, arguing the other side of that issue in comments, and other folks have been ringing in. It's really interesting, so totally check that out at bradblog.com. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of really good food for thought. Food for thought that, of course, I am completely right about, and Ernie is completely wrong about. <laughs> And I told him I would be completely fair when I mentioned that on air. So there you go. No, actually, it is. Uh, he makes uh, good arguments, and uh, we'd, we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts as well over at bradblog.com in the comments section. With that said, it's time. Are we ready? Yes. It is time for our latest Green News Report. We've seen a consistent escalation of the severity uh, and the length of wildfire season. For the first time in history, more than half of the U.S. Forest Service budget is going to fight wildfires. We have got to be environmentally responsible, but we've got to be economically responsible too. Australia's climate treaty targets denounced as too low. New Zealand breaks up with coal. Plus, free solar for African schools, thanks to Elon Musk. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There's so much adulterated science out there that people are no longer going to trust the scientific method at all. Wow. Leave it to Fox News to turn science into adultery. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, earlier this week we talked about the Animus River turning completely yellow after the EPA was trying to clean up an abandoned mine and millions of gallons of toxic goo spilled into the river. Some blowback for you, or oh. maybe me, uh, from the Twitter's machine. Boyarski says, I know the EPA did this, but that's like blaming a soldier for stepping on a landmine. And then 
Jay Krusen one says, I take issue with your Green News report today. It was a private contractor for the EPA that released the sludge. Yes, but the EPA still takes responsibility for it, and ultimately they are the ones responsible. If you'd like to hold Desi accountable, you can reach <laughs> her on the Twitters at Green News Report. What do you have for us today? Well, first, thanks to record heat and record drought, for the first time ever, the Forest Service reports that it is spending more than half of its budget on fighting wildfires, and that is diverting funds away from fire prevention, according to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. We're not in a position to do the restoration and resiliency work that's important and necessary, not just to keep our forests healthy, but also to reduce the risk of these intense, enormous fires that we're now fighting. And prevention is important because the Forest Service now projects that within the next decade, firefighting will eat up two-thirds of its budget unless Congress acts to increase funding. Wildfire season is now 78 days longer than it was in the 1970s. Wait, it's 78 days total or it's 78 days longer? Longer. Amazing. In international climate treaty negotiations, Australia's conservative, climate-science-denying Prime Minister Tony Abbott officially submitted Australia's national pledge to cut its emissions 26 to 28 percent by 2030. This is fairly and squarely uh, in the middle of comparable economies. It's not quite as high as the Europeans. It's better than Japan. It's almost the same as New Zealand. It's a whisker below Canada. It's about the same as the United States. Actually, it turns out that's not true. Australia's target is markedly lower than most advanced countries, including the U.S. International criticism was swift, saying his target is too low and unfair because Australia has among the highest per capita carbon emissions in the world. Opposition leader Bill Shorten said the target again leaves Australia trailing internationally. Well, this puts us at the bottom of the rung in terms of developed countries. Too little, too slow on the problem. Meanwhile, the planet continues to ignore politics. Warming oceans are turbocharging a record red tide. That's a toxic algae bloom along the entire Pacific coast of the United States, from California to Alaska. And that has forced the closure of shellfish fisheries in Washington state because ingesting that toxin can be deadly. Toxic algae blooms aren't uncommon, but the scientists said this year's is, quote, the longest lasting, highest toxicity and densest bloom that we have ever seen. Wow, this week alone, yellow rivers and red tides. How's that free market working out for you, boys? Meanwhile, a new study finds the world's glaciers are melting faster than ever recorded. And worse, the researchers say the world's glaciers may have passed a tipping point. That even if humans stopped all carbon emissions today, the world's glaciers would probably continue to melt. You're nothing but good news today. Here's some good news. New Zealand is breaking up with coal. Thanks to a surge in renewable energy, the nation has announced it will completely phase out coal within three years, getting most of its electricity from 100% renewable geothermal energy. Finally, Solar City, Elon Musk's residential solar power company, has launched a new charity devoted to putting rooftop solar systems on African schools free of charge, with the goal of helping rural villages leapfrog over the pollution phase of development. Unlike the fossil fuel industry that's had over 100 years to bring electricity to Africa, Solar City is actually doing it now. I'm sure the right-wingers who pretend to be so concerned about the need for fossil fuels to lift people out of poverty 
will be joining along to help fund Elon Musk. For much more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website. We're at greennews.bradblog.com. Download us anytime via iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Just, you just tear up just hearing that song, don't you? <laughs> you do. Well, it's a nice story, and it's very hopeful, so I'm glad <laughs> that we got a chance to tell people about it. I do, too, and, uh, you know, Elon uh, Musk, w- we've been bowing down to him on the Green News for a long time <laughs> in hopes of getting a free Tesla. It hasn't worked. Not yet. We haven't gotten one. Uh, but uh, you know what? Uh, my thanks, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks to you. My thanks to uh, Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to uh, Ernie Canning, our uh, legal analyst over at Brad Blog, for joining us. Uh, but my, also, my thanks to you, the listener. Until we should meet again, my thanks to you, and particularly those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. To help us stay on the air commercial-free without having to rely on uh, on sponsors, without having to rely even on Elon Musk and his uh, Teslas, which I sort of think he should have given us one by now. But in any case, I just wanted to, I, I don't get to say that enough, so my thanks to all of you who support us and help us stay on uh, on your airwaves. We couldn't say the things we say on this show unless we had the support of folks like you to help us continue going. So thank you very much for that. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other this week, you can, as always, stop by bradblog.com and download it there. You can download it over at iTunes, where you can also subscribe for free and uh, have it uh, easily accessible every single day. And while you're at iTunes, please give us a good review because it does help other people find the broadcast as well. Also, find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.